pages. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Second of all, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Let's look the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that we this morning can come together in this place to sing praise to your name. We thank you, Father, for the precious blood that does indeed have the power to save. We pray now, Father God, as we look into your word, that uh, your word would be instructive to us, be a blessing to our hearts, that, Father God, you challenge us by its truth. Lord God, as we meditate upon the word that we might receive from your blessing. Lord, I'm ever aware of the fact that I need you to fill my mind with your thoughts and my lips with your words. Father, I might today convey the truth contained in your word. Lord, may that which I've studied be a blessing to those who receive it. May you hide me, Father God, behind the cross of Calvary so we might see no man save Jesus only. Father, we might receive from you today that which you'd have for us. Lord, you might receive all the praise and all the just bless now we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's theme for the remainder of Ephesians chapter five, which is where we're at at the moment now studying Ephesians. Paul's theme for the remainder of Ephesians chapter five is the family, and especially the husband-wife relationship. But before we consider the family, we need to consider the relationship that ensures other relationships are right, and that's our relationship with the Lord. And that's where Paul starts this section with this matter of our relationship with the Lord. This passage commends, sorry, commences with a command. I'll get those words out in a hurry. It commences with a command to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. And it ends with a command where it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, verses 18 and 21. And then he embarks upon the husband-wife relationship. Chapter 6, he talks about parent-child relationship and the master and uh, servant relationship. But he deals first and foremost with our relationship to the Lord in verses 18 to 21. Paul then applies that theme, as I said, to all other relationships. First things first. We need to see the command that we are not, first of all, to be filled. We are to be, rather, filled with the Spirit, but we're not to be drunk with wine. And we're just going to look at verse 18 today, which says, Be not drunk with wine, whereas excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This command to be filled with the Spirit forms foundation for the rest of the book. So we need to concentrate a little bit on verse 18 and have a look at what it says so that we might understand what it means to be filled with the spirits. And it starts with a command to be not drunk wine wherein as excess. You know, throughout the centuries, people have attempted to escape the realities of life through mind-altering intoxications. In the New Testament world, that uh, escapism came about by the drinking of Wine. Wine was the most common intoxicating drink in the ancient world in the New Testament times. But today we have a variety of ways. You know, our sophisticated science produced 
numerous alcoholic beverages that can quickly lead to drunkenness. In addition to that, numerous drugs are dispensed illegally, such as marijuana and cocaine and ice and a variety of other chemical substances that lead to altered states of minds, leading people to do things that they would never do. These substances lead to the loss of self-control, causing people to do things that they would never otherwise do. In fact, it's this lack of self-control that often leads to immoral behavior. And so Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, as he's been talking about you and I walking as children of light, he's been talking about you and I being testimonies and witnesses for Jesus Christ. He talks about the fact that you and I are to be different from the world. He now focuses on one area and he says, be not drunk with wine. Paul is focusing in on this very behavior. Then he says, wherein is excess. And the idea here of this is do not get drunk with wine or do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. The word excess occurs two other times in the New Testament. And in both times that it occurs, it's translated differently. It's translated in those places, riot. It's found in Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, if any, man be, blame, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, speaking about the pastor, he is not to be accused of riots. In 1 Peter 4, 4, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the excess, to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, speaking about believers, not running with the unsaved, not running to the same excess of riots. The word excess here in Ephesians 5.18 actually means that which is unsafe. That uh, it means uh, lost beyond recovery. It carries the idea of that which is abandoned, all abandoned to sensuality and lust. To disillusionedness, debauchery and revelry. You know, our English word excess doesn't quite describe what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, be not drunk with wine, which leads to wrong behavior. If you want to walk as children of light, then you need to make sure you don't take into you any intoxicants that will cause you to act contrary to your position as believers in Christ. The meaning here in Ephesians 5.18 is that all this behavior flows from the use of wine, this alcoholic beverage, this intoxicating substance. And by implication then, it is not proper for Christians to be in the habit of drinking. This kind of excessive behavior is totally unacceptable to God. You know, all intoxication is prohibited in the Scripture no matter what, by what means we become intoxicated. But the Bible particularly condemns drunkenness without reservation. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23 and verse 29. Proverbs 23, 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? 
They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. You know, the Bible condemns drunkenness without reservation. And drunkenness is condemned because it's a waste of resources that ought to be submitted to Jesus Christ. To be controlled by an intoxicant is contrary to Scripture. John Trapp, uh, uh, an old uh, uh, commentator from yesteryear, was writing about drinking, and he said about drinking, he says, drinking is all about the all three outs. That is, ale out of the pot, money out of the purse, and wit out of the head. I thought it was a pretty good quote. <laughs> ale out of the pot, money out of the purse, and wit out of the head. You know, now we see, we should not think that the state of falling down drunk qualify, is not the only state that qualifies as sin. Okay, we shouldn't think that, you know, he's just talking about being totally and utterly plastered, and that's what he's saying here, not to be totally and utterly wasted by alcohol or wasted by drugs. It's by being impaired. The idea here is that, that drink impairs your thinking. And being impaired in any way by drink or by any intoxicant is by uh, implication sin. As well as drinking with the intention of becoming impaired. One commentator said the danger of drunkenness lies not only in itself but in what it may induce. He said our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and they're to be controlled by him as we're going to see, not by some external intoxicant. So as believers, we're not to be drunk with wine, but we are to be filled with the Spirit. That's the second point this morning. Be not drunk with wine. Secondly, be filled with the Spirit. Here is the contrast. Here is the, the opposite to what he's been saying. He's made it clear that if you and I are to be godly, if you and I are to live godly lives, and we are to walk as children of light, then we're not to be intoxicated. You and I are not to be drunk with wine. It's not to dull our senses. But we are to be filled with the Spirit. Paul contrasts the effects of the Holy Spirit with the state of drunkenness. You know, alcohol is a depressant. It loosens people because it depresses their self-control, their wisdom, their balance, their judgment, and therefore they do all sorts of things that they wouldn't normally be caught doing. And that's why Paul gives us a far better alternative to seeking pleasure and happiness than through drugs or drink, and that is of being filled with the spirits. Because you see, the Holy Spirit has the absolutely opposite effect upon believers upon people, as does alcohol. Because while alcohol loosens, it's depressing, it loosens our senses so that we do that which we wouldn't normally do, the Spirit of God controls us so that we do only that which brings glory to God. 
It has the complete opposite effect. It, it controls us, makes us what we ought to be for the glory of God. Fulfilling is not to fill up, but rather it means to be controlled by. It has the idea of constant surrender to him. Now this is a command, being filled is a command that God expects us to obey when he says, be not drunk with wine, whereas it says, but be ye filled with the Spirit. It's a command, be ye filled with the Spirit. is a command of God. The command is plural. And so it applies to all, be ye. Plural, all believers, be ye filled with the Spirit. And the verb is in the present tense, which means keep on being filled. There's an experience we should enjoy day by day, moment by moment, not just on a special occasions. We are to be continually filled, continually controlled by the Spirit of God. We are to be uh, continually being filled with the Spirit. The ancient Greek word to be filled also indicates two other important things. First, the verb is in the passive. So that means it's not manufactured experience. When we talk about passive, we mean it's done to you, not that you, you do it. Okay? So it happens to us. The Spirit of God fills us. We don't manufacture the filling. We do not fill ourselves, but we permit the Spirit to fill us. The verb fill has nothing to do with the contents or quantity as though we were empty vessels and we require some filling up or that we are, uh, you know, through day to day that somehow we've spilt some of the contents and we need a, a new filling of the Spirit. Because the moment you and I are saved, we get all the Spirit we're going to get. You and I are baptized in the body of Christ by the Spirit of God and you and I receive the indwelling Holy Spirit and the indwelling Holy Spirit could not leave us. So you and I have all the Holy Spirit we're going to have. And so filling has nothing to do with you and I being somewhat empty and we need to be filled up with the Spirit, that we need a new injection of the Spirit, that you and I have got to go and drink of the Spirit again. It's the idea in the Bible, it means controlled by. That you and I already have the Spirit, but how much control does the Spirit have of us? How much do we allow Him to run our lives? How much do we allow Him to to uh, govern what we do, how much do we allow him to lead us? You see, when he talks about being not drunk with wine, the point of the, the illustration is that alcohol controls in the sense that it, it, it takes control of the senses and loosens them up so that you just do those things you wouldn't normally do. You become controlled by the drink. It control, consumes your thinking. It controls uh, your body, controls your senses. It controls everything about you. And now he says, be filled, be controlled by the Spirit of God. Allow Him to govern your life. Allow Him to control you. And that's how it's used in the Bible. In other places, this word fill. In Luke 4, 28, it says they were filled with wrath. And it means they were controlled by wrath. And for that reason, they tried to kill Jesus Christ because wrath controlled them. In Acts 13, 45, it says the Jews were filled with envy, which means the Jews were controlled by envy. 
and opposed to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. To be filled with the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, in our emotions, in our will. What the Apostle is saying to you and I here is that you and I are to be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to be being filled with the Spirit. Day in, day out, He's to control us moment by moment. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event that we live off the rest of our lives. It's a constant filling. Uh, asking to be filled, or receiving the filling by faith. Much of the weakness that believers experience today, much of the defeat that believers experience today, the lethargy that uh, believers experience today in our spiritual lives can be attributed to the fact that we're not constantly being filled with the Spirit. We are to be totally consumed by him and his will. That's what he's been saying in Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 5, where you and I are not to walk as, other, uh, as the Gentiles walk, but you and I are to walk differently. We're to walk in the spirit. We're to walk as children of light. We're to walk as children of love. We're to walk as, uh, as uh, dear children, uh, as imitators of our Father. You and I are to be different, and the way to be different is to be filled to be being filled with the Spirit of God, to be controlled by His Spirit, moment by moment, day by day. It's as though the apostles written all these chapters right up to chapter 5, where he's just finished speaking about not walking circumspectly, uh, walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, let me just put it in a nutshell for you. Be not drunk with wine. Where is excess but be filled with the Spirit. Here is how you do all that I've been telling you to do. How, how do you do this? How do you manage to redeem the time? How do you manage to walk circumspectly? How do you manage to walk wise? How do you manage to find out the will of God for your life? Be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to control you, and you will then be all that you ought to be. And that's his point he's going to make in the rest of this chapter. Because the filling of the Spirit is the means to carrying out chapters 1 through 5. The filling of the Spirit is also the means of carrying out the rest of this book. It's a kind of pivotal phrase. Be filled. To be filled with the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit's inner mind, emotions, and will. The second important fact that we need to note about this verb in the Greek, is that it's in what's called the imperative. So it's not an optional experience, it's a command. It's a passive, it's done to us, we don't fill ourselves up, but it's also a command, it's an imperative. We are to be filled. We're commanded here to keep on being filled by the Spirit day by day, moment by moment, you and I are to be controlled by His Spirit. Now, know the contrast here. Be not drunk with wine. Carnal contrast to being filled with the Holy Spirit is being drunk with wine. Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. So he wants you and I to make a correlation here. 
He wants you and I to look at what the effects of drunkenness is, what the effects of drinking is, what's the effects of alcoholic beverage or intoxicants of any kind, what's the effects of that upon the person, and that, therefore, we're not to do that, but we are to be filled. Here is the contrast between being filled with carnal wine or with the Holy Spirit of God. Instead of being drunk with wine, he said, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, rather than getting drunk with wine and losing self-control, Paul says to you and I that believers are to be totally controlled. And you and I are to allow the Holy Spirit to control us. That we might bring glory to his name. They had a choice. And you and I have a choice to be filled with wine or to be filled with the Spirit. Right in the Colossians, Paul explains how this filling is possible when he states a similar thing but a little differently. Look in Colossians chapter um, 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. And this is a similar passage because he's going to end this passage in Colossians chapter 3 with wives and husbands and children, okay? The same context in which we find in Ephesians chapter 5. Notice that in verse 18 it says, Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as is it fit in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children obey your parents in the Lord, okay? So the same context as Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 is the context which we find uh, this passage in verse 16 here in Colossians chapter 3. He said, and also the, the, the hymns and psalms and spiritual songs is what he mentions in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, speaking of yourself in psalms. So this is the context. But instead of saying be filled with the Spirit, he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So though the apostle tells the Colossians how to go about being filled, which he told the Ephesians. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God, you need to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly so that you might indeed be filled. Let it dwell in you all richly in all wisdom. So here is the methodology in the Colossians to the Colossian church, here is how you and I are filled with the Spirit. It's as you and I spend time in the Word of God and we meditate in the Word of God and we let the Word of God dwell in us as you and I surrender ourselves to the will of God as we study the Word of God, the Spirit of God takes control of our lives and you and I are filled with His Spirit day by day, moment by moment, as you and I meditate the Word of God and surrender control of our lives unto God. Let the Word of God dwell in us. We meditate upon the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, the apostle had said this to the Ephesian believers. He says, And to know the love of Christ, which path of knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When you're talking about being filled with the Spirit, it's about you and I being filled with the fullness of God. It's about you and I meditating on the Word of God allowing the Word of God to dwell in us richly. And as we yield ourselves to God's Spirit, 
He will enable us to find our contentment in him. Not as some chemical substance that makes us feel good. Paul's saying, listen, you don't need that, that wine. You don't need that intoxicant to make you feel good. All you need is the Spirit. All you need is to allow God to control you. Let the Spirit of God rule in your life. Let the Word of God, uh, meditate upon the Word of God and allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly and allow uh, the all fullness to dwell in you and to live through you. You don't need the intoxicant. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need some external stimulus. You have the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to control. Allow Him to work in you. Allow Him to guide you. Because as we do, you and I will have all that we need for life and godliness. And to understand the walk in the will of God is a rewarding experience. Paul says that, you know, when you and I, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which we know well, where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which are reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, letting the word of God dwell in you richly, being transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As you and I allow the word of God to dwell in us richly, as we allow the Spirit of God to can take control of us, you and I will discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when you and I are living in the center of that will, there is no place better. And we don't need external stimulants to make us feel good. Feeling is nothing less than God in command, the control of man's whole life. Now, when a person trusts Christ as Savior, he's immediately baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So salvation, every one of us, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, that's salvation, all baptized into the body of Christ. And nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. Because it's a once-for-all experience that takes place of salvation. The moment you and I placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us, we were placed into the body of Christ. We were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, and you and I received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible commanded to be, to be baptized by the Spirit. There is no biblical command for that because it's instantaneous with salvation. And when the Spirit came at Pentecost, the believers were baptized by the Spirit, and thus the body of Christ was formed. Go with me to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. Now, verses 4 and 5 says this. Meet them together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard from me. For John shall be baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. 
And on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, they indeed were baptized by the Spirit, by the Holy Ghost, into the body of Christ. But you'll also know that on the day of Pentecost, they were filled by the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were baptized by the Spirit, not many days hence, into the body of Christ. They received the indwelling Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when those cloven tongues of fire came down and rested upon them. They were baptized by the Spirit into the body and they received the indwelling Holy Spirit. But at that moment also they were filled with the Spirit and empowered to preach. And the filling of the Spirit empowers you and I to live for Christ. And it's that feeling that gave them the power that they needed to witness for Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, And then you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The, the filling of the Spirit empowered them to preach. The baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. The filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. That's the difference between filling and baptism. And so how much more appropriate is for Christians to be filled with the Spirit rather than an intoxicating beverage that leads to revelry, to leads to being uncontrolled and uncontrolled behavior? Surely the better thing for the believer who is baptized by the Spirit of God and has the indwelling Holy Spirit of God within him and is now a new creature in Christ, he's a, he's a child of God, how much better than to be filled with the Spirit and he walks in the Spirit to the glory of God and he imitates his Father and walks in love and walks in the light and bears a testimony and he does not walk as the other Gentiles walked, but he walks in the newness of life to the glory of God. How much better the believer does that? Let me led by some intoxicants. One commentator asked this question. Was any man ever made a better Christian by the use of wine? And the answer to that, is, of course, is no. We're only made a better Christian by the filling of the Spirit. And that's the challenge for us, to be filled with the Spirit. Now from here, through the rest of this section, indeed through the rest of this book, Paul spells out for us the effect of filling we have in our lives. He picks it up in verse 19, speaking to yourself psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to make a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will submit ourselves one another. Wives will submit. Husbands will love. Children will obey. Masters and servants will have the right relationship. You and I will not be men pleasers uh, with eye service, but you and I will be the servants of God, doing the will of God from the heart. In verse six of chapter six, and you and I will do good uh, with uh, with good will doing service as the Lord, not in the men, and then you and I will be able to put on the whole armor of God, and you and I will be able to stand in the evil day against the wild of the devil, and you and I will bring glory to God because we have been filled by the Spirit. 
I, I, I love Paul's writings for this reason. You know, Paul does this. He, he builds to crescendos, and then he'll usually have one big thing. He makes a big statement that says, this is what I'm talking about. Be filled with the Spirit, and everything I've said, I'm about to say, will become natural for you. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, we'll pick it up next time in verse 19 and following. We'll probably do a message on verses 19 and 20, and then we'll do a message on the rest of the, uh, you know, on wives and husbands and so on, and we'll get into preaching on the family. But we need to set the ground rules. You know, I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing this message. I, I thought, you know, so often what, I, what we've done and what I've even done is we've not spent a lot of time in verse 18 or even a lot of time in verse 19 and 20. We always go to verses uh, 21 through the end of the chapter. But it's significant. The importance is this turning point in the book, in verse 18 and 19 and 20, and to leads to 21, you've got to understand these things, particularly verse 18. And the challenge for us today is to seek daily to be filled with the Spirit. For without His filling, we're powerless. Filling necessary for believers. It's a command of God. We need to be yielded to His will so that we will be filled by His Spirit. You know, not, not to seek uh, some uh, uh, feeling and intoxicating beverages. You and I should not seek to, to have our senses loosed by, by some external influence. You and I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to let the Spirit of God control us so we might be affected for our God. So I guess the question for us today is this, who or what is controlling our lives? For the believer, the Holy Spirit should be controlled. So beloved, let's not be drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled, be being filled with the Spirit. We might bring glory to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for the challenge here in verse 18. We pray, Father God, that it would indeed be a blessing to us and encourage to us. Lord, you'd help us to be filled with your spirit day by day that we might bring glory to your name. Bless now as we close the hymn, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Ken is going to come and lead us in 164.